We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode 52, coming at you right now in a very special episode. Why? Because we're here in studio with CEO and founder, Mike Niemer. And of course, Mike and I are always on these podcasts here on the Green Insider. But, you know, every now and again, we get to be in the same same space, Mike, as, as the pandemic is starting to wane. And, and, you know, we've been doing these by Zoom, but it's nice every now and again to get, you know, be in studio and have a chance to converse one-on-one because this podcast is special why it's our year in review mashup can you believe that a year in review it does not <laughs> seem like it's been that long that went so fast came a long ways from that first coffee we got and you said mike you should do a podcast i said fred i've never listened to a podcast well or just you telling me you know what hey i was trying to get you know advice on uh, the oil and gas business and you said you know what get into renewables and here, here we, we are. are yes sir so it's exciting, Fred. Thank and a you new so KU much. Football coach later, by the way. <laughs> a new football coach later. That's correct. So no, I'm excited about this, and and it's a testament to the work we've done. It's a testament to the work uh, from everybody here at the eRenewable team behind the scenes that we've been able to put a great group together, and uh, you know the work that has gone into making this podcast, and the guests and the folks that have helped facilitate logistics, uh, whether it's been marketing teams, uh, assistants, whoever it's been that's helped us to be able to make this a possibility through 52 episodes, and uh, the list is too long to list by name right now, but you know who you are, and of course. So again, it's it's just it's been a it's been a labor of love, and, and we've gotten some tremendous feedback from the folks that have listened to this podcast. And I think it, again, it's just a testament to what we're trying to do: put out good quality information. Because again, as part of this energy transition, education, and I know that's been Mike, I, that's been your rallying cry from the time we started this thing, is to let folks know everybody wants clean energy, but they don't know exactly the when, the what, the where, and the whys to how it happens. And hopefully we've been able to let folks know and educate them on how it happens. Yeah, that's exactly right, Fred. Education was the main reason we started this podcast because we quickly saw in the marketplace it needed education. And so today's list of guests that we're going to play is a perfect example of the kind of guests that you and I have tried to get. Somebody from different market sectors, all in renewable, sustainable space. And so when our guests listen to these top downloaded podcasts that we're about to play for them, different snippets from each of them, every one of them, for the most part, got a different topic they're on. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, today you're going to listen to six of the most downloaded podcasts we've had out of our 52 episodes. So it's our pleasure to bring you these guests. Thank you for all 52 people that have been on our show, and uh, we appreciate everybody's time for listening. We certainly do. But before we get to that, and like I said, we'll tell you a little bit about the podcast as well, Green Insider Podcast. Of course, you can find it at Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, eRenew.net, and of course, wherever you get your podcast. But before we do that, the Green Insider is powered by eRenewable, and of course, I've got the CEO and founder of eRenewable right here, Mr. Mike Niemer. So, Mike, tell the folks at home what it is we do here at eRenewable. Fred at eRenewable, we bring technology to the sustainability space by hosting real-time online auctions for both the PPA and BPPA. 
our electronic management tool really helps streamline the RFP process. Whether you're a buyer or seller of wind, solar, or battery storage, our platform can provide pricing efficiencies to your organization. And because of the demand of our customers, we've expanded in the course of this last year beyond just the auction. We're now involved with microgrids and battery storage development, renewable natural gas, responsibly sourced gas, LED lighting, HVACs, efficiency upgrades, unbundled recs, and some good old-fashioned advisory services also. This year, we've grown a lot. Everything we've just talked about, the customer led us that direction. So by the demands of our customer, Green Insider was born along with eRenewable. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, too, when we started this podcast, we didn't have a strategic partner, so definitely want to say thanks to Intelometry. Yes, sir. We couldn't have found a better partner for the platform that we want to ultimately have. Intelometry is an 18-plus year veteran of the energy industry and technology, and they have been a big assistance to us so far, and it's only been two months. So we're looking forward to uh, the growth of the company and the help of Intelometry to help us get there. One of the leaders and one of the preeminent companies in the energy software space. Give them a shout out. Go check them out over at intelometry.com. That's intelometry.com. Another new uh, facet of the Green Insider podcast that we didn't have on episode one that we're very excited about and we've had a great relationship with the great folks over at NEMA, the North American Energy Markets Association. Huge shout out to Steve Shepard and Donna Foy. They do absolutely phenomenal work over there, Mike. We've got some good work we've been doing with them and we've got some great stuff we're going to be doing over at the uh, at the convention uh, that's going to go down in October. In October, first week in October in Philadelphia. You're right, Fred. Name has been a great partner for us. And I know we've had a lot of positive response from the NAMA News Minute Absolutely. that you helped create with Donna and Steve. Their commitment to us is, is I can't speak highly enough. I've been a great pleasure working with them. Great information there. So without further ado, please enjoy the NAMA News Minute with Donna Foy. Hi, Fred. This is Donna Foy, Deputy Director of the North American Energy Markets Association. Thanks again for the opportunity to provide another NEMA update for the Green Insiders listeners. I hope everyone had a great 4th of July and that our Canadian friends enjoyed a great Canada Day. NEMA is pleased to announce that Global Energy Generation LLC is NEMA's newest market member. GEG, based in Philadelphia, is a developer of utility-scale renewable energy projects in the Mid-Atlantic and Midwest. Their contact information is available on NEMA's website. Remember to save the date for NEMA's 2021 Fall Conference, hosted by Customized Energy Solutions, on October 4th through 6th at the Logan Hotel in Philadelphia. Registration opens later this month, but we're already hearing a lot of enthusiasm for getting back together with friends and colleagues. Sponsorship at the conference is a great opportunity for expanding your brand visibility and supporting NEMA with its mission in the market. Don't delay. Sponsor a golf hole today. Please contact either Steve Shepard or me and we'll get you set up. We really look forward to seeing everyone in Philadelphia on October 4th. Information will be sent shortly on this month's virtual presentations, so stay tuned for that. Our webinar series will take a break in August, but we'll be back in September. On the RFP front, NLX is conducting an online procurement event for WPPI Energy's upcoming RFP for MISO zonal resource credits from either LRZ1 or 2. 
WPPI will accept offers for multiple planning years from resources located within Zone 1 and 2 via a live reverse online auction on the NLX auction platform scheduled to open for offers on August 5th. The deadline to submit a completed notice of intent is July 20th. Please see NEMA's website for all the details. You can find information about other open RFPs there as well. Elite Inc. is looking for a real-time trader, and AES Clean Energy has a number of job opportunities. Please see NEMA's website for information on those. That's it for now. We look forward to giving another update soon. Thanks, Fred. Thank you so much for that, Miss Donna Foy. Once again, you can get all of the information from the NEMA News Minute over at the NEMA.com website. That's N-A-E-M-A.com. Give them a shout over at LinkedIn as well. Make sure to follow their page. And make sure you follow the eRenewable and Green Insider page over on LinkedIn. Give us a follow on uh, Twitter as well, eRenew2020. That's at eRenew2020. All right, let's get right down to it, Mr. Mike Niemer. Six of the most downloaded episodes of the podcast this year. And listen, we've enjoyed all 52 guests we've had on but these six guests here uh, again just tremendous information great work from the companies they're with as well and uh, just a great job as well of helping repackage the episodes as well and of course again you can find all the episodes over at apple itunes google play spotify erenew.net or wherever you get your podcast thanks fred our first guest is going to be ken robinson president of ng energy services ken's going to discuss today responsibly sourced gas and how not only the methane reduction, but other environmental attributes play a huge role in reducing your carbon footprint. Here's Ken. One of the other focuses that we've been focused on here recently is what we call responsibly sourced gas or low methane, low carbon natural gas. And the reason for that is we're highly involved, like most companies, in natural gas also. It's, it's part of the energy transition. And we've got, uh, there was a concern about shale gas and about the high methane content. And so we've been working with, let's say, the producer and end users around you coming up with this responsibly sourced gas. That's the term that's labeled most often. And it's not just on methane. It's across air, what they do with water treatment, with their social, environmental, uh, community impact. Uh, so we, we talked to various firms about their approach around validating, pushing to make sure there's an accountability at the producer level. And uh, we're working with a firm called Canary Project. They, they, they have this IES trust wheel around a certification. And I believe that's, that's an area where we'll, we'll start to see a lot more emphasis on trying to come up with a, um, let's say a low methane or, or an RSG type gas that, that'll It'll move us forward, and I think all this, um, you know, concern about shale gas, potentially you'll you'll evolve a different market. It's no different than the oil markets that created low sulfur, high sulfur, light heavy. I mean, it's just a grade differential, and in this case, it's an environmental differential. And I think that's, uh, I think that's an emerging area too that we're really focused on on natural gas as part of our energy transition. On the RSG, uh, responsibly sourced gas. So again, we're, we're working on both sides, producers and consumers. And on the producer side, we're working through these pilots to test it out because um, they've been working on their ESG for years. Um, and now it's how do we make it more transparent where it's beyond just a self-validation and we've got a third party coming in. And again, I, I mentioned this um, Project Canary, IS Trustwell. There's others also. 
that we've been talking to. And um, we go through these pilots, which is a, a partnership where we can test, um, you know, what they're doing, the different metrics on methane intensity, what they're doing around their, their air and water, um, what they're doing on community, the impact that they may have, you know, traffic and, um, you, know, you know, potential concerns that a community may have on it. And so it allow us to go through and test all these different criteria to see um, what is most sensible. Uh, and then coming up with standardized metrics, I think is the key. And as we go forward, we won't have pilots anymore. It'll just be, I think the goal will be to have a market that um, prevails both on the, the supply, meaning the producers and the, um, the end users. End users, um, they're, you know, they're, they're, they've got sustainability goals. They want to be green. Uh, but there's nothing pushing them to do that other than their own companies. And so there's not a regulation, but I think, you know, everybody's interested in it. It's just a about first movers and people getting involved. And I think the pilots will be a good test for us to do that. Well, how long do you see these pilots duration? For one, they'll only take about two months. Our second guest is Matt Beaton, Senior VP of Renewable Energy from the TRC Company. Matt is a former energy secretary for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And on our podcast, he discussed offshore wind. For our listeners out there that live in the middle of the country and they don't really know much about offshore wind, can you tell them how you guys can make it efficient? Because the, the higher cost that's involved in developing that wind project out there versus the fields of Kansas, the wind that comes out there, how does the economics play out there? What kind of, are there special rebates or tax incentives that are involved that allows that to go through? Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's the it's it's essentially in the way um, that they well they would qualify for the tax incentives, right? There's the there's the tax incentive model, but really it's the power of uh, of 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 the scope and scale of the projects that we're talking about. We're we're looking at 400 megawatt, 800 megawatt tranches being awarded, uh, so significant. So with with that scale comes um, an an ability and an economy of scale. That comes with it and having the secured PPA. So the requirement of the utilities to purchase the resource is the ultimate guarantee. So it's at a, it is at a, uh, you, you pay a premium of the price, right? And the PPA price is above, you know, a regular wholesale market price, a competitive price. So there is that incentive baked in to the requirement. Um, but it starts at the legislative level, authorizing the procurement of that resource by the local utilities. The local utilities do a solicitation uh, and the various developers come in and put the bids out. So there's that um, a bit of a market distortion built into the process. But recognizing that, um, you know, technology improvements is another you know, significant factor in this where, you know, we're not we're not talking about three megawatt turbines anymore, in, you know, which is a big you know, land uh, land side. Uh, turbine, we're looking at 10, 12 megawatt turbines right now, which is just who would have thought five years ago we'd be having that conversation. So the technology is playing a huge role in it, uh, in our ability to, um, you know, to create the energy, but it does take that above market, you know, just distortion is essentially what it is to the market right. in, in many ways to catalyze the industry and to do exactly what we've seen in the solar and storage markets where the cost of the technology has dramatically declined once the you know the market had been created. Our third guest, Mr. Steve Burbrick. Steve is the former president and CEO of the California ISO. On his podcast, he talked with us about the role renewables played in California and offshore wind. 
you know, I'm from the Midwest, so I'm kind of a, a straight talker. And what I, what, you know, you just speak the truth. And I find if you just speak the truth, that it works out. The renewables didn't cause this. The renewables behaved as they always behave. The wind moved around. The wind did okay. Um, I mean, it's not like it caused the problem. And solar goes away in the evening. That's no surprise to anyone. And I think it's important to tell everybody that wasn't the problem. The problem was poor planning. And the poor planning was that there was still too much dependency on imports to fill any kind of loose ends that California had. So, and as the the resources continue to decline in the West, that's going to be more exacerbated going forward, not less. So California is going to have to have its own resources. And those resources, at least in the the near term and midterm, are going to have to be uh, storage because you can't throw solar at this because it doesn't work in the evening. Wind will help, but California's wind has its own sort. It it is largely a night-based wind pattern, and it needs to be married with the portfolio effect of wind in the rest of the West that would better help things out. We know our friends over in the Northeast. We just got done talking to Matt Beaton, uh, former energy secretary for Massachusetts, and they're getting, you know, they're, they're exploring offshore wind on that side. Where does offshore wind factor in for you guys? And is that something I know, again, you've been a proponent of, of multiple types of renewable energy. Where does offshore wind, you know, factor in for California? I think it's, uh, Fred, I th- frankly, I think it's a cost-benefit issue because in California, the, the shelf, the Pacific shelf falls off very deeply. It doesn't have the shallow waters like the, the East Coast does. So it's far more expensive. Then you get to the question of, well, would it not be better than to use terrestrial wind, say in Wyoming or in New Mexico or something like that as a more economic choice? Now, if California wants to do it as part of a, uh, you know, an economic development, that's that's their choice for sure. And that's the prerogative. But offshore wind in deep water is going to be expensive. Next, we'll hear from Ms. Jane Stricker, Relationship Manager with BP. She discussed how BP is involved with the Houston Climate Action Plan. For me, what's on tap is figuring out how to help the city really make a dent in, in getting the Climate Action Plan moving forward in Houston um, this year. I mean, the reality is the city has launched this Climate Action Plan across the full suite of emissions that are generated by the city of Houston the municipality is only accountable for about 3% of those emissions. So if we can't find a way to get businesses, to get residents, and to get the folks there that live and work here in Houston on board, aware, and supporting the Climate Action Plan and its goals, we're not going to make any meaningful change. And so for me, the real focus this year is how do we start to drive that change forward in the city? The city can only do so much. They can create the platform. They can they can help set the right tone, but it's going to be up to everybody to move forward. So that's really what I'm focused on for this year. Uh, And then also supporting our other partnerships as we enter into them. You know, we have a goal partnering with 10 to 15 cities and with a number of different industries. And so, you know, my role as relationship manager, I support the city of Houston, but I'll also support other partnerships as, as those come along. So that'll be what I'm looking at. When I think about what's next in the energy transition, I think integrated energy systems are really going to be the focus. I think uh, World Economic Forum came out with a, a report in uh, early 2021, in January, that talked about, you know, in order for cities to be successful, 
in addressing climate issues. And the reality is 170 cities have defined a set of goals to achieve 1.5 degrees C. Almost none of them are actually on a path to achieve that. So they've set the goal, but but they don't know how they're going to get there. And so I think what this report from, from World Economic Forum really talked about was the importance of having an integrated solution in order to accomplish it. You can't just deal with the transportation issue. You can't just deal with building efficiency. You have to find a way to connect all those dots and create integrated energy systems in these cities. And so I think, you know, when I think about our capability as BP, what we're focused on, it's about connecting up all those dots and saying, this is how you create an integrated energy system for an industry, for a company, for a city that, you know, addresses the, the, the challenges associated with transportation, that addresses the challenge associated with, with residential and business building emissions, that addresses the challenges of how do you get your supply and demand in equal places, you know, across renewable energy, and so that we can find ways to store the energy that's being created when it's being created and use it when we need it. How do you take all of those pieces and put them together to develop a set of holistic solutions? Next, we have Brett Estep, Senior Director of Renewable Advisory Services at Tanaska. Brett talks about the advisory role he plays at Tanaska with the customers. You can think about Tanaska, I really think about it, in three big uh, groups. Uh, Tanaska Marketing Ventures, that's our, our gas marketing, TMV. And so they, they're absolutely one of the leaders in North America on moving molecules around. So I'm, I'm separate from them. Tanaska, really uh, Strategic Development and Acquisition, the SDNA, we call it. That's the group that's doing nobles, that's doing these development partnerships that continues to press in on wind and solar and battery development. Um, they uh, continue to they, they do the M&A work, they do project development, they do development partnerships, development services. I'm separate from them. I'm in the I'm on the power services side. So I actually don't, I, I rarely bring our own development team into one of my processes. Uh, I'm on the power services side where there's third-party energy management. We're by far the premier and largest energy manager, third-party energy manager. So everything from scheduling and billing and QSE services in ERCOT to trading, optimization management, all of that. I, I run our advisory inside that group so I can be independent. And that's a key part to me, even though the corporate, uh, Tenasca corporate folks, mostly in Omaha, continue to march down the road and make their own investment decisions, either with Tenasca money or partner money. I'm separate. I'm independent. My clients are my CNI clients. And I, I really think about it almost like a, an investment company. Uh, let's say Fidelity, you know, you might have a third party advisor inside Fidelity. They might have a Fidelity email that could represent you, give you financial planning advice. They could also sell you Fidelity branded, you know, ETFs or, or uh, mutual funds, but they could also source outside of the, of the Fidelity brand. And that's the way I do it. I make sure my clients know I'm, I work for them, uh, but I can source internally to Tanasco, you know, off of, let's say, a Nobles or anything else we're developing. But mostly what I do is I bring the market to bear to compete for my clients' work. And our sixth guest today, Mr. Michael Ducker, VP of Renewables for Mitsubishi. Michael gives us his view and Mitsubishi's view on what salt caverns are going to do for hydrogen storage. 
when you think about energy storage, a lot of people think about batteries and lithium-ion batteries, and for good reason, because right now that is the type of technology we need. Uh, and it's really, batteries do a great job of balancing that uh, intradaily mismatches. Uh, you know, for those in the energy space, a lot of times we hear about the duck curve in California, and the duck curve represents in the middle of the day, we're overproducing solar, uh, and so that's where we want to charge these batteries, and at the night, um, when you know, the sun's going down, uh, we need energy there that's available, and that's where you can discharge batteries. What's different here with hydrogen is we're actually um, looking at storing energy, not necessarily for those intradaily imbalances, but really for the long term. So the, the, the key question becomes, what happens when I've got excess uh, renewables in, say, April, uh, when we've got great solar, we've got great wind, uh, we've got the snow melt in the Pacific Northwest, so we've got a lot of hydro, but we don't have a, a whole lot of demand. But then in August, when we've got shortages on, on, on energy, you know, how do I really shift that April into August? Uh, and that's a different technology we need than batteries. And so this is where hydrogen is really starting to play a prominent role. Um, and as we add more and more renewables to the grid, we're starting to move beyond that need for intradaily energy uh, balancing of renewables and more that interdaily, even seasonal type of balancing of renewables. Uh, and again, that's really where the, the uh, role for hydrogen starts to come into play. And from what I've read, this the ACES project is going to be able to store a thousand megawatts. I so we're looking at a thousand megawatts is, is really what we think about the, the power side uh, for energy storage. Uh, people usually focus more on the energy side, which is uh, it's one hundred fifty thousand megawatt hours. So just to put that in perspective, right now, the entire United States has uh, about one thousand megawatt hours worth of lithium ion batteries installed across the entire U.S. So just one salt cavern can store 150 times the entire U.S. installed base of batteries. Uh, so it gives you some sense of scale and in, in, in the capability here to really do these longer duration, more seasonal balancing of renewables. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Michael Ducker, and all of the guests that we had over the course of this last year, Ken, Matt, Steve, Jane, and Brett, and Mr. Ducker himself. The one thing that we tried to do with all these guests, and, and you'll hear when you listen to the, the Green Insider podcast, is, and Mike, we've talked about this before, is trying to stay topical and what's going on in the ever-changing world of the renewable industry, because I think I'm not alone with this, Mike, when I say how quickly the things have evolved in the renewable industry just since you and I started this podcast a year ago. You know how they say technology is always changing? Well, now we can say renewables and sustainability is always changing. It certainly is. It certainly is. And, and we saw it firsthand. And, you know, we started out as, you know, obviously wind and solar. And, and again, now when we talk about hydrogen and the one thing, and, you know, Mr. Michael Ducker talked about it, is that, you know, there's so many of these buzzwords or so many of these topics that are being thrown around right now. And the one thing I think we've done a pretty good job at the Green Insider doing is trying to let folks know exactly kind of the nuts and bolts of what's going on with this energy transition, whether it's the hydrogen, the battery storage, and all the things that are going on right now with, with this renewable transition energy transition that we're in right now so great stuff from everybody there once again can't say enough about the team the work that we've done and the work that's going to be done the rest of 2021 we continue to get good guests and of course if you've got somebody that you'd like to have on the show or if you think you'd be a good fit for the green insider podcast give us a shout let us know on linkedin at mike Neemer, at fred davis and of course we're also uh on twitter as well at Mike underscore Neemer, at the Freddie D as well, if you'd like to know more. Or you just give us a shout on the email as well, Mike at eRenew.net, Fred at eRenew.net. We're always looking for new and exciting things that are going on in the energy space to talk about uh, as we continue to look at the ever-changing landscape in 2021. So 
for the rest of 2021. Coming up next week, we're very excited about our next guest as well, Brent Perlman, CEO, Center for Houston's Future, a think tank here in the great city of Houston, talking about what's next for ERCOT. Listen, we know it's hot as Hades right now in throughout the entire country. Houston's no, uh, obviously, as we know, Houston is no um, stranger to that as well. But what exactly is going on with the grid? What's going on with ERCOT in the wake of what went down in February? Mr. Perlman is going to share with us what they're doing and what's going on with ERCOT. Can't wait to talk about that. So without further ado, Mike. Any final words one year into this thing, what we've been able to do, what this podcast has done, and what you've learned in the last year from doing this podcast? Fred, when I think back to where we were one year ago in that first podcast we did, I remember how thin our pipeline was for customers. Well, now that pipeline list is a lot longer. And if in year one we can develop a list that long and have customers that we've had, I'm looking forward to year two, three, and four because we're only going to grow. Because with the energy transition that's going on, the market's going to be there. Sustainability is going to be there. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not going away. If you listen to this whole podcast till now, you're part of it or else you wouldn't still be listening. And we appreciate you listening. Everybody that listens, whether you're in the sustainability space or not, is much appreciated. Tell your friends. As Fred said, if you have any interest in being a guest, give us a call. 1-866-E-RENEW-1. 1-866-E-RENEW-1. Have a great day, everybody. Real quick, Mike, I just want to say, too, it's definitely a, a testament to your leadership and your stewardship of this company. Uh, again, COVID dealt everybody a hand that nobody saw coming. And for a guy that, again, had never listened to a podcast, didn't know squat about a podcast, uh, your your activity and just your involvement in it has certainly been a testament to why this thing's been so successful. So I definitely want to give a shout-out to you and the work you've done on the podcast as well. Much appreciated, Fred. Much appreciated. You, uh, you guided me the right way. <laughs> Hey, listen, it may, hey, listen, it might be the Jayhawk thing. Who knows? Give us a five-star review uh, if you listen on Apple iTunes. Why? Because we promise that if you listen to this podcast, and we know a lot of you do, you'll learn more about renewable energy from listening to this podcast than you knew about renewables before you stopped by. For the CEO and founder of eRenewable, for Mike Niemer, I am Fred Davis. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier. we got to change it, yeah. just you and me.